0: Clear of the closing
1: doors, please. In a Brooklyn fractured into speculative storyscapes, fantasy, horror, sci fi, and the just plain weird come together in The Kaleidocast. Join Professor Brad Overstreet senior junior lecturer Sam Spellingbound, and assistant crypto provost Don Fairweather Jenkins of the MetaTechnic Institute, and inquisitor James Earl King II, as they explore the stories drifting in and
2: out of your reality. What are you doing here? This is my turf.
1: Coffee houses are neutral ground. Or neutral enough,
2: anyway. What have you got there? Oh, this? I found this story in Midwood. Now I get it. You came to gloat. So where's Midwood, anyway?
1: Out by Brooklyn College. Has these huge old Victorians. Brooklyn College. What's wrong with Brooklyn College? I got my PhD there. Anyway... I was in Midwood What were you doing in Midwood? Well, not trying to kill you So I don't know what you're getting so hot about (sighs) And sorry about that
2: Never mind Academics as usual But I wouldn't get in the shower Without checking first for a while if I were you It's such a vulnerable moment So, Midwood
1: I'm looking to buy a house there They're beautiful. Six bedrooms, three baths. And how much would this set you back? Eh, Just a million. Since when do you have a cool million? Since I got an advance on my book, There's a Fungus Among Us. Non-humanoid alien infiltration of the ivory tower. An expose. (sighs) Expose. I was rummaging around in the basement, checking for leaks, flood damage, the usual when i saw this blue glow in the corner okay i thought spectral alien could be anything maybe a fungus shut up over avenue i checked it out and found a time capsule dated 2071 not a surprise those houses were built to last so i opened it of course you would What's the story about? It's called My Shagetz by Marcy Ireland. Funny title, Shagetz, about an alien, non-Jewish boyfriend. Except he's Jewish. How do you know what a Shagetz is? You're not Jewish. First of all, how do you know I'm not Jewish? And second, I grew up in Crown Heights. I know what a Shagetz is.
2: Okay, okay. Don't get your knickers in a twist. Let's hear it.
3: My Shagetz by Marcy Arlen. I fell in love with an alien. Big deal, who hasn't? It was a minor miracle, since I am a bit short, a bit chubby, and a bit sloppy. But my hair is great, lots of long dark curls, and I'm what used to be known as a nice girl. So I got lucky. Not to sound trite, this one was special. Kind, smart, funny, soft, and wonder of wonders, Jewish. Only problem was he was really, really disgusting to look at. You know what I mean. Too many appendages, lumpy body, no hair. But I didn't care. I was in love. Well, since we'd been going out for over a year, I figured it was time to introduce Aaron to the Mishpocha. I hope they will see immediately that Aaron is a good catch, much better than the usual brand of idiots I schlep home. Mom will stop sighing loudly with an, all I ever wanted was grandchildren, and Dad will stop with a, will you just settle down already? Aaron has a terrific job as the minister without portfolio at the Interstellar Planetary Embassy where I also work as a program director for cultural exchange. He's also the main liaison for human-alien software. He's managed to learn about 64 earth languages, in other words, a real mensch. Tough noogies if they don't like him, though of course I hope they would. So I brought him home for Friday night Sabbath dinner, and I was, I'll admit, a little nervous about Aaron's first impression. This is a special occasion for my family, so I knew the folks would be on their best behavior, all smiles, and hospitality. Unfortunately, as soon as my dad opened the door and took a good look at Aaron's extra-wide toothy grin and got a whiff of his rotten lemon body odor, he vomited all over Matilda, our apricot toy poodle. "'Aaron stuck out his long purple tongue, "'zooped it up, and gave Matilda the grooming of her life. "'Dad turned green and ran to the bathroom on the first floor. "'He slammed the door and didn't come out all evening. "'I mean, really, was that rude or what? "'Mom came to the door and, I have to admit, "'handled Aaron's appearance a little better, "'just some silent gulping. "'At least she almost shook his digits.' "'She took the lovely flowers he brought "'and put them in a nice Roseville vase "'on the dining room table. "'She managed to get us into our living room "'and then, since it was sundown, "'lit the Shabbos candles. "'Aaron said amen. "'His family's sort of religious, "'but not too much, which is good. "'So if and when we marry, "'I won't have to keep a kosher home. "'I just don't have the time, "'and the dietary laws on Aaron's planet "'are too Byzantine to follow.' His people converted en masse to Judaism when they landed their spaceship in the Negev in Israel and were met by scientists, a bunch of kibbutzniks, and the head rabbi. They just loved the dry heat, the chanting, and all that space. Anyway, Mom invited us to sit down at the beautifully set dining room table with Grandma's good linen and crystal and the vase with Aaron's flowers in the center. Aaron haroomed along with a blessing over the challah, as was only proper. We all sat down to the wonderful dinner Mom had prepared, except Dad, who we heard loudly dry heaving, and weeping for some reason in the downstairs powder room. Mom spooned out the roast potatoes, the steamed asparagus, and gave everyone a nice piece of paprikash chicken, leg, breast, wing, whatever, there was Plenty. Aaron stuck his portion, a leg I think, under his mouth flap and in the most charming way crunched and dripped slime, so I knew he loved my mother's cooking, which is always a plus. One thing he does I don't like is talk with his mouthful, and I will have to break him of that habit. Mom had just sat down to join us, and Aaron was complimenting my mother on her cooking when one big slimy chunk of crunched chicken flew right into her eye. She turned red, then white, gagged, and ran to the first-floor bathroom. But my dad was still in there. She pounded on the door, "'Stanley, please, it's an emergency!' No dice. So she ran upstairs, but didn't quite make it, and vomited all over the nice white shag rug on the landing." Aaron volunteered to go clean it up, but I laid a hand on his third appendage and said, let it be, she'll be fine. But I was really pissed. I didn't have to bring him home to meet everybody, so the least they could do was not throw up while he was here. Mom dragged herself into their room and slammed the door, and I could hear her sobbing. But I've saved the best for last, my two older brothers, the starring attractions of the family who, as usual, have a lot to say and do next to nothing. Most of the time, the two lazy schnorrers sit on the sofa, playing video games and drinking scotch. Both college graduate. one is even a graduate school graduate, but do you think they could get off their tuchuses and get a job? My oldest brother, Leonard, since Aaron got here, had been laughing with this snarky, triumphant look on his face. I wanted to take a frying pan and smack him upside his head. Gary, the middle child, ignored us completely, just cramming all the chicken and potatoes into his mouth. I think Gary would eat oysters in an autopsy, stomach like cast iron. So there's Mom, upstairs loudly sobbing, Dad downstairs doing God knows what, and Aaron placidly, if a bit loudly, crunching. Bless his three hearts. Leonard opens his big fat mouth and says to Aaron, So, Aaron, if that's really your name, what makes you think you're good enough for my baby sister? I swear to God I will kill Leonard some day. Of course it's his name, you jerkwad, I said out of the side of my mouth so as not to let Aaron know I was upset. We had talked about the whole human-alien thing, and believe me, his family's not thrilled either. In fact, Leonard, he's a cohane and a real maven on scripture. Uh-huh, sure, said Leonard, smirking. Bet she had a bris, too though not sure where exactly they had to snip it off from. I gave Leonard a real good zetz in his shin with a high heel, and he jerked his knee up and banged it on the table, which knocked over Grandma's best crystal, and spilled the wine all over the nice linen tablecloth. Some of the wine spilled onto Aaron, and boy, oh boy, all hell broke loose, as there is one thing Aaron hates, and that is to get wet. And not only get wet, but get wet with blessed wine. He's a very respectful guy. And here's the thing. Aaron smells even more rotten lemon when wet, verging on the rancid. I don't mind because I have permanently clogged sinuses, so during his shower I rub eucalyptus oil all over his clothes, which smells good to everyone and clears the sinus. It shouldn't be a total loss. But when Aaron gets wet and I'm not around with a sack of potpourri, well, not nice. This really, really bad smell starts to fill the room, and it's bad enough even to get Mr. Chazagary's attention. Leonard pushes himself away from the table, grabs a lovely embroidered napkin, brought all the way from Beolestock, mind you, covers his mouth, but alas, alack, it's too late, and Leonard the wise guy barfs all over what's left of Mom's nice chicken dinner, all over the asparagus, and best of all, all over Gary, who jumps up, screaming, What the fuck? Gary grabs the flower arrangement and throws it at Leonard, who ducks and runs from the room, crashing into Gary, who falls backwards right on his keister, smacks his head on the hellacious golden cherub Dab bought at this yard sale, and insists on keeping in the dining room no matter how much Mom complains. Gary is knocked out cold. So there he is, bleeding all over the hardwood parquet. Leonard puking in the hallway, and don't forget Mom and Dad and their dramas. Aaron is really furious because he hates getting wet and making that smell that he knows turns humans off. Here he was in his best custom-made toger trouser outfit trying to make nice with his girlfriend's family. He starts yelling, which is what his kind does when upset. Now, I come from a family of yellers. We can all give a good gashree when we have to, but Aaron's people come from a place where everyone has at least 25 feet of personal space around them, so he's making a huge sacrifice just to sit at our fancy-schmancy dinner table, and everyone is just so rude. So I totally understood when he leaned back on his haunches, dropped his jaw, and let out this tremendous roar, both high and low-pitched... That literally rattled the lamps and shook the china. Aaron's roar got louder and louder and louder. The door to the bathroom opened and Dad came running out of the powder room. Mom came stumbling down the stairs, calling my name. Leonard stopped mid-puke. Matilda commenced howling like a crazy person. Gary was semi-conscious. He didn't count. From my thrift store Gucci bag, I pulled out my handy-dandy fuzzy sound mufflers, which Aaron got me for our first anniversary as a couple. I sat back and watched as my family freaked out. They all dropped to the floor and rolled around, pounding their fists against their heads. Now, here's the reason I love Aaron, in spite of our differences. Aaron looked at me and noticed that I was frowning, a little worried about the family eardrums. They are my family, and I love them, even if they make me nuts. He stopped roaring and looked rather sheepish, which he always does after losing his temper. I affectionately patted his nice, broad, spotted shoulder. Melinda stopped howling and looked around, puzzled. The family lay on the floor, exhausted. Gary was slowly coming to. He could sleep through a volcano. You know... Aaron is such an interesting guy, you never know what he's going to do next. He has been known to turn himself inside out when he gets frustrated, so all his guts are hanging on to his derma dangling and quivering and pulsing. I knew that would definitely not go over big at my house. But he surprised me as usual. He put the flowers back in the vase and set them on the table, arranged the dishes, uprighted the crystal, and sat down with his napkin folded neatly into the lip of the toga. He folded his 16 digits in his lap and started haruming, which is his way of gathering his thoughts. I sat next to him and looked at my plate to be polite. Then he began to speak. Aaron has a heavy accent, but I think my family got most of it. Respected birth parentals, Loyalist siblings, Leonard and Gary. He paused. Aaron is like me and likes a bit of drama. I waited expectantly. I am deeply repentant concerning my composureless response that surpassed your auditory tolerance level. My guest self miscomprehended the premature departure of your ingestion from your person and the distressful influxial imposition of sacral liquid on my person as insult to my nest clan. But my potential familial self neo-comprehends that this is a manifested cultural issue. I eternally desire your forbearing appreciation of my xeno behavior. Aaron is a trained diplomat and knows just the right thing to say. Your nuclear familial female progeny is most precious to this mate-seeking individual who asks for your blessing for union. Baruch atah Adonai. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Aaron was asking for my parents' blessing in Hebrew. I blushed, muttered a yes, and kissed Aaron's sweet velvety flap. Imagine... Me. Engaged. No one in my family moved a muscle. Even Leonard shut up. Their mouths hung open like guppies. I think my parents had pretty much given up on me finding someone. Now, here's this great, well-spoken, educated Jewish guy with a job who wants to marry their pain-in-the-ass daughter. I got up from the table and went over and helped a speechless dad to a chair and propped him up against the table with a sofa cushion. I tried to help Mom, but she shrugged me off and got herself into the chair next to Dad. She held a wine-stained napkin to her eyes, so I knew she was getting real emotional over the way things were turning out. Gary sat against the wall with his head on his knees, moaning something about getting a job and fast. Leonard had this weird smile on his face. I knew they were a teensy bit jealous. Who knows, maybe two of Aaron's 27 sisters might be interested in two not-bad-looking Jewish guys. Things calmed down. I was a betrothed woman and wouldn't have to listen to any more cracks about my eternal single status. I went into the kitchen, thinking about floral arrangements, maybe a nice blurb in the wedding section of the New York Times. I came back with dessert plates and the chocolate babka Mom had bought especially for the occasion. I cut six slices and put a nice piece on everyone's plate. I smiled at Aaron and the family. I loved them all. Anyone want coffee? Mom? Dad? Boys? Great, I'll make some.
4: Marcy Arlen teaches theater for social change at Pace University and is artistic director of the OB-winning Immigrants Theater Project and is a Fulbright scholar to Romania and the Czech Republic. She is a longtime member of the Brooklyn Speculative Fiction Writers, Theater Without Borders, Broad Universe, and her work has been published in Daily Science Fiction, PerihelionSF.com, Broad Universe Sampler, and Man Infest Theater Journal. Marcy has several more short stories out there, and is working on a sci-fi murder mystery.
0: So this next story comes to us from where in Brooklyn exactly? Well, that's the thing. When I said Brooklyn... Yes? I
4: may have sort of meant the the lower west side. What? What are you talking about? I know, I know, but listen, this is genuine Rick Bowes we're talking here. We send you out on one simple assignment. Send me out, he says. Listen to this guy. Hear me out. There I was, just getting off the six train, you know, with the cube and the birds and... I know the place. Right. Anyway... There's a little coffee shop, and I stop in for a macchiato. <laughs> you drink macchiato? I can't have a little class. Don't interrupt. Anyway, that's when I see it at the table next to mine. Pure, uncut bows sitting right there between the biscotti and the napkins. So I introduce myself, I make an offer on the piece, and the guy let to go for... How much?
0: <laughs> Look, you're missing the point.
4: This is the kind of story that needs a home.
0: Well... As it happens, we were looking for a little Bose. what I tell you?
2: His Only Nose by Rick Bose A few weeks ago, I passed a guy in Bleakest Street in Greenwich Village. He was saying in a loud, aggrieved tone of voice to the woman he was with, I only got this one nose. And though I've lived in Manhattan for a long time and heard lots of great, mad street cries and wonderful, twisted passerby talk, I still paid enough attention to wonder why he mentioned this. When I told people about the incident, a writer friend suggested that the woman had bopped him on the nose. An interesting premise, but in my quick glance, I'd seen no evidence that his nose, a serviceable but common enough medium-sized specimen, not a pug, not a wild honker, was bleeding or was in any way not a virgin. That's how unbroken noses are described in the South Boston of my childhood, a time and place where it was said that anyone who reached the age of 12 without a broken nose was either a newcomer or a girl. My friend, Liz, who has known me for decades, was inclined to believe that he came from an alternate world where any individual could have a variety of noses and other body parts. At first, I thought this was a nice piece of whimsy on her part and was amused. Then, she reminded me of a couple of people. The first was a man with whom the sister of a mutual friend went out, a guy who was fascinated but terrified by electricity. One night, drunk and stoned, he claimed to be from a reality where Con Edison had never moved from a very crude direct current to alternating current. Thus, the New York City of his birth was dangerously lighted and electrical fires were commonplace. The sister soon dropped him and we learned no more. Another was a bartender with what sounded like a French-Canadian accent who worked at a place on Sullivan Street years ago. He would claim, once he had a few in him, that he came from a world where Napoleon had conquered North America and Nouveau-York was French-speaking. You know, my friend said, that every time there's calamity anywhere in the world, war, poverty, pestilence, man-made or natural disaster, refugees from that location appear in this neighborhood and open ethnic restaurants. It's a law of nature. We've got all the old and new trouble spots from Italy to Ethiopia, Vietnam to Afghanistan. I'll bet Libya's next. If all of them end up here, why not people from alternate realities? When I mentioned this jokingly to a guy I know, Frankie, an administrator at the university, he told me in a condescending manner that everyone used to say alternate reality, but the label is now considered insensitive. The correct term is diverse origin worlds, or D-O-W, and that this situation was just beginning to be better understood. I mentioned that troubles in places with unfortunate histories always translate into refugees in the neighborhood. Frankie said, Once you get used to tailors from Xinjiang and Uyghur and Italian restaurants with waiters from Bangladesh, there should be no surprise at some couple arguing about what nose to wear. Why would anyone from a place where people had life sciences so advanced that they could exchange body parts at will come to live here, I asked. Why did so many people flee Europe when it was the center of culture and technology to come here, he asked. Stuff back home forced them to. Everyone keeps quiet about it, but I'm told there are D.O.W. support groups to help refugees over the rough passages in their transitions to this world. I think it's kind of interesting. Reconsidering the incident that had started all this speculation, I recalled the woman with whom the one nose guy was walking. Hers was casual but cute and slightly upturned, a fine piece of retrous nosery, far more stylish than his. I wondered if she had made some disparaging remark about the one he wore. A thoughtless person might do this, little considering that the nose someone else wears is the only one he owns, and thus force him into an embarrassing confession. Other things happened over the next couple of weeks. A long-ago lover came back and visited the city. I got some unexpected freelance work, found a new yoga teacher in a fine gelato shop. I pretty much forgot the man and his nose. Then, one morning, stuck in traffic on Canal Street... I looked out of the taxi and noticed a sign in a third-story window. It offered D.O.W. counseling, along with assistance on visas and immigration status. Later on that very same day, I again passed the man and the woman on Bleeka Street. I'm 99% positive it was them. But the nose is an important part of one's face, and their noses were not the ones I'd previously seen. His was somewhat larger and more commanding hers was curved and a bit sensuous. I thought of Anthony and Cleopatra. They looked like satisfied and confident New Yorkers striding down the center of the sidewalk and forcing everyone else to walk around them. On a nice summer day a bit after that, I sat on a bench in Washington Square Park telling my friend Liz what I'd found out about noses and diverse origin worlds. Two extremely thin thirty-something women carrying nicely upscale shopping bags "'passed by close enough for us to hear them. "'For June it's close for work, weddings, and hauntings,' said the one. "'Haunting,' said the other one. "'You mean at that abandoned place upstate?' "Uh "'Uh-huh,' said the first. "'But not enough of us are here for a real haunting.' "'Not yet,' said the first woman. "'But others are trying to get permanent visas.' "'The easiest way is to marry a citizen,' said the second. At this they both laughed a bit and looked towards the fountain. Liz and I followed their gaze. Frankie, who first told me about the diverse origin worlds, wore a crisp jacket and a bow tie. He grinned and opened his arms to what would surely be his bride.
4: Author Rick Bowes has published six novels, four story collections, and over 80 short stories. He has won two World Fantasy Awards, a Lambda Award, a Story South Million Writers Award, and an International Horror Guild Award. His most recent novel, Dust Devil on a Quiet Street, was on the 2014 World Fantasy and Lambda shortlists. A new edition of his 2005 novel from The Files of the Time Rangers, a nebula finalist, will appear later this year from Lathe Press. And last year, his 9-11 story, There's a Hole in the City, got a very nice review in The New Yorker. Recent and forthcoming appearances include Fantasy Magazine's Queers Destroy Fantasy Special Issue, Interfictions, Nightmare, Grendel Song, and the anthologies The Doll Collection, And Black Feathers. He is currently writing stories that will be chapters
0: in a novel about life as a gay kid in 1950s Boston. Bradley Robert Parks lives, writes, and performs in and around Brooklyn, New York, where he founded the Brooklyn Speculative Fiction Writers, BSFWriters.com. His passion for writing blossomed while growing up in a family of genre readers. While he's been pursuing writing for a while, the crazy energy of NYC and BSFW have given him the focus and motivation to finally get published. His story Sustenance appears on BuzzyMag.com in October of 2014. He also sings and narrates stories when time permits. Along with these achievements, he's obtained one husband, Michael, and Insanity and Magoo, Best Cat Ever. Keep up with his exploits on Facebook or at
2: BradleyRobertParks.com. Thank you for listening to The Kaleidocast, a production of the Brooklyn Speculative Fiction Writers, who can be found at bsfwriters.com. Our sound engineers are Atticus Ryan-Garden, Alicia Barrett, and Matt Mozzarella. Your hosts are Tanya Ireland-McLean as Dawn Fairweather Jenkins, Bradley Robert Parks as Brad Overstreet, Cameron Roberson as James Earl King II, and Sam Schreiber as Sam Spellingbound. Our music is Delusion of the Fury, Act Two, Treats with Life and with Life Despite Life, Arrest, Trial and Judgment, Joy in the Marketplace, by Harry Parch, used by permission of Innova Recordings and the Harry Parch Foundation. Special thanks go out to Marcy Arlen. The Kaleidocast and all its contents are protected by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can share it all you want, but don't sell it or change it, and give credit to the Kaleidocast and its authors. Go to our website at kaleidocast.nyc to comment on what you've heard here and for links to all our contributors.